This sounds crazy. Prison was so holy, so holy. Because there was such a dependence on him. Mm. And those are the two things that are common in my recovery and in prison that brought me peace is I had the gift of desperation is I couldn't fix anything. I couldn't do it. I had to lean into the father and I had to walk and cry and worship Jesus. And that's what I'm kind of learned is give him thanksgiving even in the shitty times. Friends, this is Morgan Snyder, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. One of the lenses that I often use when I'm navigating the world and I'm looking for the narrow path is I look for marriages with couples that really have a friendship. I know couples that uh, choose to love each other, and I know couples that do hard things and couples that are growing, but there are only a handful of couples that I've observed that I can look at and say, they really are friends. They really have fun together. They really laugh together. They really do enjoy each other without having to work that hard to enjoy each other. Typically, that's just the top of the iceberg. With an iceberg, 10% is above the waterline, and that's the part you see, and 90% is below the waterline, and that's what you don't see. Michelle and Chuck have one of those marriages. They have a friendship. When I watch them together and when I hear the stories, what most stands out is their fun, their laughter, their willingness to do the work that it requires to become the kind of people that actually have fun and enjoy each other and can say at the center of their marriage is friendship. And so in this part two of a conversation with Chuck Bolton, Chuck's going to go deeper into stories of time in prison and the impact of that on his life and what it looks like to navigate family and marriage in love. If you didn't listen to part one, you'll definitely want to go back to the most recent podcast episode of part one and then pick up here with part two. I think you'll enjoy this. What you shared so far, Chuck, these themes that I'm hearing of what's God really like? Like that's just coming to the surface because it changed, yeah. it, it changed everything. When he goes from he's unsafe to he's safe. Yeah. When you're an orphan to he's a good father, like that's huge. And I'm not going to spend my energy trying to change the past that instead it frees you to live in the present moment and live towards hope. Oh, I want more. I want more. And, and more and it of- It reminds me when I'm, when I'm- crying out here and say, I know your compassion and I'm writing in here. Yes. And I trust you. And then you, you read and you see an answered prayer through that. Or I, I read in here, God, I'm, I'm, we just got turned down. I'm never going to get out of here. The, the, you know, and, and then four weeks later, I'm out on appeal, you know, not knowing. Mm. And just the whole process, when I have the vantage point that I have today, is I say, I see your hand in all of this. The interesting part about trusting God and understanding humanity 
is even the process of me going to prison. I had pastors pray over me and saying, I hear him speaking, literally, build your altar to Gideon. Because Gideon built the altar, showing his faith in God before uh, God answered his prayer. Mm -hmm. So go build your ark. And I built this uh, altar uh, up in my farm with stone. And thank you, God, I'm not going to prison because they had the vision that I wasn't going to prison. So you're saying their pastor said, demonstrate your faith yes. before. Yeah, and okay. I have seen that yes. you're not going. Yeah. It's all pumped up, you know, and, you know, because you remember during this deal, I, I had a plea agreement. Mm. I made a mistake. Yes. And, um, and we could spend a lot of time over that because in the process of my recovery, I had to deal with this a lot, mm-hmm. is that I cut a deal with the government um, that I did. I misled the government in a tax transaction. Uh, none of my, none of our, our our clients lost money. There was no restitution, but the government wasn't happy. But they really weren't after me, and they were after an accounting firm. So I, my plea deal, I was zero to six months is what the sentencing guidelines were. And So you plead guilty to that, and uh, they say zero to six months. Is the guidelines. Gotcha. To the judge. And then a $10,000 fine. And after quite a bit of time of the judge, you know, date of my sentencing up in New York, and and they changed it six different times. We had 15 people that bought tickets, had to change them. You know, we were expecting uh, to go up there and, uh, you know, and get uh, uh, probation, something like that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, because of circumstances, the accounting firm went to the trial. I don't know if you know that. You know, they, they had a month trial, and they basically threw me under the bus, said I designed the tax strategy, which I might be smart, but I, I don't know anything about accounting. And uh, anyway, I got sentenced to 15 months in a $3 million fine. And my daughter, Margo, literally had to get up, and she went to the lobby um, of the courtroom up there and threw up. Mm. And just— Oh, I, I remember the whole thing. Just really, that this is going to be my life. You know, I, I, I'm going to go to prison, and I, I, I had up three weeks before I reported. But there was, you know, just that that bitterness, that resentfulness, um, but acceptance finally came in the first time I went to prison, and the first time I was there. Um, you know, we were trying to get it remanded because even even the government's attorney felt that there was it was misunderstood that I did not design these mm-hmm. tax strategies. Mm-hmm. And uh, so through that process, when I was in there for a period of time, we thought we we're going to have good news that the judge would say, OK, we're going to remand it. But it kept falling through. So. While I'm reading the Bible, I'm journaling in it, and just, oh, the, the tears of frustration, of hope, diminished. When I went to prison was 2009. Do you remember what was going on then? Sure do. It was collapse of everything else outside of prison, huh? Yes. It was the financial crisis. Interesting timing. So, uh, yeah, it was, and I had a lot of debt at that time. Uh, there was a financial crisis, and we had a lot at the time. But all of a sudden, 
banks had to do one thing. They had to shrink their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. I had millions of dollars out in debt, and I never missed a payment, but they called loans. <laughs> so right before I'm going to prison, I'm ha- I have some private equity holdings, my wife and I, and, you know, we're trying to get bids for it, but, you know, no one wanted to own anything at that right. time. And I was getting 10 cents on the dollar and um, was looking at bankruptcy, left this with Michelle. And one thing you can't do in federal prison is you can't do any kind of business. I can't be on the phone talking to my attorneys or anything. Mm. And um, it, it was a it was such a helpless situation that all I could do was cry and pray. Mm. And um, and this is what I wrote one day. We have a choice. I have a choice today. It has been a hard week. We put down Gunner. This was my lab of 15 years, my Labrador retriever. Pro- prosecutors will not remand to the judge, which means I'm staying in prison. I am sick, and that's one place you don't want to be sick is in prison. Mm. And it looks like we're selling the farm. Three prayers I got to know too. Am I going to still trust my Abba Father? Today I have a choice. Mm. And, and that was kind of my journey. And if I didn't have this, I wouldn't be pushed. Do I know the plans for you, Chuck? Plans of hope. I know what's going on, Chuck, through this. I hear your prayers. I see your tears. And I love you. It, it is all through this mm. that that he became so tangible that the morning it was Mother's Day weekend, and uh, her husband, my wife, I'm in federal prison, and my son is in jail mm. for wrecking the truck and running from the cops. Mm. Um, what a Mother's Day weekend! And here she comes to see me on visitation on Sunday, on Mother's Day weekend after having to deal with this. And just tired, just tired. And um, that morning, I got up, and uh, I remember I put these cheap earphones on it. You got a little cassette, you know, a little radio that uh, an inmate gave me. I was able to walk the grounds and get out around sunrise. And I listened to K-Love. And um, in, in tears, I would walk around and I would worship. And this sounds crazy, but it was so holy, so holy. Because there was such a dependence on him. And those are the two things that are common in my recovery and in prison that brought me peace is I had the gift of desperation is I couldn't fix anything. I couldn't do it. I had to lean into the father and I had to walk and cry and worship Jesus. And that's what I'm kind of learned is give him thanksgiving even in the shitty times, mm. and and trust him, and and through this. By the way, my wife left him in jail for a few days, even though he called, and it was a horrible place. Left him in there. Um, she was strong, and on Mother's Day, that afternoon, she went down there and got him out, and there was a confidence. 
she did not shame him, but she spoke truth to him. Mm. And in his story of his baptism, JB's baptism, that was the turning point in his life. And um, it hasn't been perfect for him, but it's so important. After that, and after I'm out of prison, Michelle baptizes, Michelle and I baptize our son. Mm. And, um, and it hadn't been perfect since then, but we know, we know, we know uh, that we will be with him for eternity. And, uh, but it, it, just to see how our father can re- has redeemed yes. so much of the pain. But what I hear you saying, Chuck, so much of the redemption comes through our participating in tough love. Yes. You said Michelle chose to leave him in there yeah. when she could have helped. When you do engage with a spouse or with a loved one that's going through a tough time, that it's really important for them to understand the hurt that their behavior is is brought on. Yes. But it's very important for me that I've learned is not to project shame. And that's it, it takes discernment. So tell me more um, in thinking, JB, and your daughters. I mean, you've had more than one occasion where you've had to— I would let me tell me if this is accurate. You've had to transition and mature over time, you and Michelle, from enabling mm-hmm. to tough love. Yeah. There's even another, uh, people might listen to this, we, tough love enabling. And then also, we tell parents and loved ones that you really want to do take the path of least regret. Because we've seen this. What if I would have done this and he didn't and he wouldn't have OD'd? Mm-hmm. We will always have those those questions. So I, it's really critical to always pray for that clarity and discernment. But but I've seen it time again where parents will absolutely enable their children to a slow death where they can't grow up and take care care of themselves. Because I'd rather protect them from pain than experience maturity. Hmm. Has been my mo early on. Now, my son JB will tell you we we heard this in our our family session at treatment is that he really wasn't willing to get clean and stay clean until we removed the safety net. So part of the safety net was actually your enabling to to try to avoid pain, pain for your son. Right. And so then you did pull the safety net. Is we, that what we you're saying? Yeah. Other than other than Michelle leaving him in jail that time, can you give me an example of where you well, said? Well, yeah, absolutely. We, yeah. If, if we, we're sick and tired of him being sick and tired. Well, right? the, the <laughs> first thing was really important a while back, and we got some counseling, is that even in his addiction, the most important responsibility for me as a husband and father is to make sure a home is a safe place. And um, and really that uh, I protect Michelle the best I can emotionally. So anytime there, there was no alcohol or drugs in our house, and if I felt at any time if he lived under the roof that I could drug test him, and if he didn't pass the drug test, he had five minutes to leave the house or I'd call the police. We never had to call the police 
One of the things that we do in in acting out, be it addiction, an affair, or anything, is that we break trust. Um, and the the misnomer that forgiveness and trust are the same thing, it's, they're just not. You know, I, I had to accept the fact that I broke trust with Michelle. So when I got out of treatment after 28 days of being up in Minnesota, literally the first thing I did is I went to Walgreens and I bought two drug tests. And, and I told her, I said, um, I earned this. Anytime you look me in the eyes and you think there's something squirrely there, drug test me. And uh, that doesn't mean you don't love me. I earned it. And it's going to be a process for you to learn to trust me again. And I accept that. Doesn't mean it was easy. Um, it, it wasn't. But it was something I had to radically accept. And the same thing with, with our son is that if someone's using drugs or abusing alcohol, if their lips are moving, they're normally lying. <laughs> and so... Um, it's a strong statement. We, we are great manipulators mm. uh, because we want to self-protect around us. The, the need to use. So, but one of the, my responsibility, I, I need to control what I can control, and that's the environment in our home. And so we had a rule, any alcohol, any drugs you're using or you bring in the house, you have five minutes and you got to leave our home. It's so one thing I could do to protect the house and not enable mm -hmm. his behavior because our goal is not for our children to be happy. It's for them to live a meaningful life. And that will, happiness is a byproduct of that. Mm. So we, we um, knew it was going to be, and he had to leave the house. Matter of fact, one time during Christmas, and it was painful. So multiple times. Multiple times. And now this is on Christmas. Yeah. And if you know JB, he's, he's a big boy and he could whip my butt easily. And I'm, I'm very grateful if he hears this that he never turned on me and just whipped my butt. Um, it was sad. We, Michelle and I would grieve, but we knew that tough love is what we had to do. We re realized who I am, I don't want to pray, who I am to the Father, that there's just a sense of, of healthiness mm -hmm. in all aspects of my life, mm -hmm. and I don't have this, this real need to project that we have such a great, wholesome family or together family. Yes. That there's there's brokenness, there's woundedness, but that's we're we're, we're not saying it's okay, but we're okay today with that. Yes. That's a that's a huge distinction. Yeah. So, um, Chuck, talking about Michelle, and you've you've obviously shared some stories with her and with the with the children. Um, it seems like too there was a time where it seems it would be fair to say possibly Michelle was enabling your behavior in the younger years. She was putting up with it. And then there was a shift where she said, this isn't okay. Um, this is, or this isn't working. And then she had to mature. What, what did you observe of what God did when you're sitting now in the, in the seat of husband? We've, we spent, Michelle and I have spent a lot of time, um, in therapy and talking about this and and we all bring from our family of origin baggage into our marriage. Mm -hmm. One of the most significant wounds that I brought in um, 
as you know, I buried my mother mm-hmm. uh, this year. But one of the significant wounds I brought in uh, was a lack of respect for women. Because uh, I felt like my mother was a doormat, didn't protect, even though she just she loved me uh, deeply. Um, and I brought that in to our marriage that I, I just, I did not respect Michelle. And, when, and, and in the early part of our marriage, I, I looked at marriage like a business deal. I kept score. What do you bring into the marriage, Michelle? You know, what are you doing this? And it just put so much pressure mm. uh, on both of us. Um, you fast forward um, in prison, and I read this the other day and um, in preparation for this. And um, you can imagine it's Proverbs 31. And um, I, I, I got to read this to you. Um, this is after Proverbs 31. It says, Michelle has been the, the one to keep the family together while I'm here in prison. She has dealt with selling of our farm and hopeful of the sale of our house. She has felt the financial pressure firsthand, yet never put blame or shame on me. The last five years of our marriage have been the best. And in the midst of my legal issues, Michelle led a Bible study and baptized two people. She has lived in Colorado for one and a half months this summer to be with Candace and Margo. Michelle is a woman that I deeply love and have tremendous respect of. I cannot wait to get out of prison and start my new life with her. Thank you, Father, God, for the blessing of Michelle. Hmm. Another gift that I got from prison. Yeah, it was hell for her. Um, And I'm sorry um, for the pain. Um, But there's not a human being I respect more Hmm. than my wife. Um, How much I respect women, um, the strength of my two girls, um, I, ju- I just, I see things so differently because of the wounds, the pain. But Michelle is a woman that has so much compassion and strength, um, kindness, her creativity. She's, her, she knows the difference between loneliness and solitude. Um, She's taught me well in that area. Um, And when I got back, when I got out of prison the second time, this was her heart. She she has a big neon sign in our screen and porch, and it has joy. And she says, if you don't bring me joy, you're out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It does. She got rid of it. We had these little chihuahua yip-yip dogs and gone. She got boxers because they're funny. (laughs) That's hilarious. Joy. Um, You know, when I drank, I thought I was John Travolta and I could dance. But she loves to dance and she loves music. And I try. But for me, um, just to see her laughing, but also seeing her just speak into so many women's lives now. Mm -hmm. Um, I I can just say, you know, 
without a doubt, she's my best friend. Mm. I don't, I don't bring to her the, 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 the stuff I get from guys. You know, it, it's a very healthy best friend. Yes. And, you know, we really experience the first part of our marriage. You know, we're two hula hoops and I forced my hula hoop over hers and she lost her voice. And today we have two hula hoops that overlap, certain, you know, about a quarter of it. And it's very holy and very sacred. But she has a very healthy individual life. And so do I, and we're able to bring that together. And um, I saw so much strength and beauty in her during her cancer. And it was another time that was, we've talked about, Michelle and I have talked about this. Um, Because of my tone and tension, I never laid a hand on her at all, but the the tone and tension that I brought in, and she came from a different family of origin of of non-confrontation, passivity, that it absolutely shut her heart down. She, there was no way she was going to trust me in holding her heart and caring for it. Two years ago when she had her surgery, radical, you know, double mastectomy and all that, she had four drains in her chest. And for two weeks, I changed all the drains, um, the blood, the, the you know, in measuring it and, and uh, because she was in a lot of pain, and um, and she looked at me and just says, "You do take care of me." Mm. And for her to trust that, that that there was just shown that there was a lot of healing. Yes, um, in our marriage, mm. um, not that I'm looking at. Hey, some great came out of it, but God was able to use that in really bringing some healing in our relationship yes. also. Um, she is my best friend. She is a partner in life with me, encouraging me to do different things, mm-hmm. even with guys. Mm-hmm. And um, she's my lover. And um, at 55, we're excited about growing old together. My most dangerous times are things going well. And I start living on self-will, and that's when anxiety kicks in. And the anxiety kicks in when you're living on self. Self-will, trying to control things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can control my attitude and my actions. And what kind of attitude do I bring in today is an attitude of gratitude. And, and I'm really grateful in prison, and there's a story to that. Um, the second time I went to prison, remember, I, and—, and this was after being out for two and a half years, and I had uh, an appeal. And even the government attorney said, Chuck, you're not going back. You got this. You want it. And, uh, but unfortunately, I didn't. And I got a text. I was in a recovery meeting said, this is a travesty of injustice. I'm so sorry. And then I had to go back up to New York for resentencing, and Judge Stein said, Mr. Bolton, I, I cannot commute your sentencing because of the process you went through. But what I can do is that I can remand you to um, community correction facility home confinement. And he actually put that in the sentencing in writing. So I said, this is 
stinks. I got to go back, but I get to wear an ankle bracelet and I'll be at home. Well, the Bureau of Prison takes that as an advisement. I didn't know this. Takes it as an advisement and they put me back into prison. Mm. And so that was probably emotionally the worst time because the first night I was there, um, I was just angry, unsafe. They put me in a horrible place and we can talk about racism. I've seen it in Kentucky against African-Americans. I've seen it in Millington against whites. Um, But I was offered that night, the first night I was there, alcohol or drugs. And remember, I was angry, bitter, fearful, you know, just scared, lonely. And I'm like most other people. If I want to change my feelings, I know how to change them real quickly by drinking or drugging. And... Even Michelle will tell you, I was, I was an ass to her on the phone when she called me. Um, just angry with her. And, and I, I made a decision um, that night. And, and the 12 steps have saved me. Step four, question 21 says, how do you identify your feelings? Question 27 says, what do you do once you identify your feelings? And I, I had a decision. I wrote down my feelings, and I'll remember to this day. I was lonely, I was bitter, I was resentful, and um, I was fearful. And I had a decision what to do with those. And the, the great thing about our God is that there's solutions. I, I could decide then that my God had a plan for me, plans of hope, during this process, that he loves me, he mm-hmm. cares for me, and that he has more pruning for me to do, and he kept me in John 14 and 15 the whole time mm. about pruning. And uh, so I really looked at what I needed to prune. And that morning, I went back to what I did. Every morning, my first nine months in recovery, I wrote down my gratitude list. And that morning, I in prison, I started to write down what I was grateful for. And I talked to Bart Hansen, and I asked Bart to send me some books, Father by God. And I got with another man there, and at 6.30 in the afternoon, he and I by ourselves started praying every afternoon at 6.30 for the warden, for the guards, for the prisoners, the inmates, and their family. By the time I left, 30-something men would be praying. And then I started walking, especially with one African-American dude named Sincere. Uh, he, I mean, you look at him like a ninja turtle. He's a bad, mm. bad to the bone. But he did. he knew nothing but slinging dope and guns, didn't know his father. So he and I, he would train me on the yard with weights, and I got to walk with him with Father by God, the book. Mm. We prayed, we cried, we hoped, and uh, and I'm still friends with him today. Uh. He's out, he's down in Huntsville, and I went down to see him, and we still talk to this day. Uh. And, and what it does is that even in my wilderness, I can have a mission if my attitude is right. You know, I know the story of the Damascus Road where Saul, the light, boom. And and I think it's not until Acts 11 or 13, maybe 11, 13, it says Saul, who is also known as Paul. And commentators, it's anywhere between four and seven years till Saul became Paul. And what I realized when I read that in the in prison is that I always wanted the new name without the wilderness experience. Mm. And 
you know, and it talks about how Saul went to the wilderness. And I had a lot of garbage that the Holy Spirit had to deal with, and I still do to this day. I'm not fixed. But th- th- there was a lot of woundedness that the Father, I had to get to know him so I could know that I was beloved, that I could trust that. And so it was that prison journey for me was part of the wilderness of just healing. Hmm. So I'm so grateful. Sounds crazy. I'm so grateful that my God did not answer my prayer with that altar that I built like Gideon. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't be the man today. You know, I think you've heard me before. I don't want what the locusts have eaten. They can choke and die on it. I mean, it, it, that's garbage. <laughs> it's garbage. It really is. I mean, when I sent that picture to you three months ago, my son was had celebrated one year being sober, and we were out here fly fishing together in Colorado. We had not spent over three days together in over 10 years. Mm. We cried. We hugged. We cared for each other. And you sent back a text, squeeze all of it out of it. And that's what I'm trying to do is is realize what God is really doing through Michelle and I is breaking generational sin. Yes. And for me, that's the legacy I want to leave. You know, that's the kind of legacy, you know, that... Despite what we've been through, we loved well, and uh, and that's that's just part of having my ass kicked and not blaming anybody for it, but just learning and taking responsibility for my part of it. Your story needs to be told, and that's why just even all your work with young couples and and things with your church, like you, the um, when when you get peel off the diminishment. You just need to know that your miles are not wasted and God's bringing a big harvest. Patience is not passivity. Uh, Patience is is a very active wrestling with God. And for me, it's it's that wrestling of that, where where is the light so I know where the next step is? And I've always felt in life that is, if, if God gave a big power beam light yeah. on where I was going, my makeup would be I would race to the end and mm. miss the journey. Patience and trust go hand in hand with me, is that I want to wrestle with God and his plan, but also trust in its goodness uh, each day. And it, it it really is for me, even in circumstances that were out of my control, that were painful, it, it allows me to have that, and, and I mean this in the deepest sense, that peace that passes all understanding, that it's, it's going to be okay if the worst happens to your son. Yes. It's, it's going to be okay. Um, there will be tears, there will be grieving, but it's going to be okay. And what I challenge myself with is, I don't know about you, uh, Morgan, but when things are really good, I mean, financially, got Mm -hmm. money in the bank and all that, is when I'm most susceptible to running on self-will. And that's really where I think the enemy and my false self is most dangerous. 
And that is really my challenge to myself each day is to always slow down and be grateful and remember where I've been and who brought me through it. Not just God, it was the love of other people. Mm -hmm. And to keep that sense and that attitude of gratitude kind of helps me to slow down, be patient in what God's doing, Mm -hmm. and don't race to what I think is the end. Yes. Because then I try to manipulate that. You know, Chuck, when you talk, you often speak of gratitude. And I think people can put that in the category of inspiration and a feeling. But I mean, you're, you're a warrior, you're a fighter, you were a boxer, right? I mean, literally we're a boxer, right? Yes. And like, uh, what strikes me as you share both in this time, but for years is it's, it's like a weapon for you. Gratitude sounds like a weapon that you have practiced, that you, that you, um, have honed and you exercise. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Cause you look at the sense of what is the opposite of gratitude, uh, for me and it's discontent wanting more than I have. A, always a sense of uneasiness, and I don't want that anymore. Hmm. Um, yeah, so gratitude is an absolute necessity for me. It's not a want, it is a need for me in recovery. Hmm. And I literally had to write down my gratitude list every day for nine months and show my sponsor. Hmm. So it, it, it wasn't a suggestion yeah. in those days of recovery. It was something I had to do. Um, and it was so important for me because during the day, what has happened is that when I start off the day of what I am grateful for, uh, I just have this sense that even when the stuff hits the fan, that uh, I have so much mm-hmm. you know, to be grateful for. So it, it is um, an, a tool in my toolbox Yes, that you know, one of the most dangerous things that God gave us was free will. And it's my choice to use that. Mm. And uh, today, I think in a little bit more maturity than I have, um, I know how much freedom and joy and contentment goes with gratitude. Mm. And I don't mean this in a dramatic way, but if I don't have a true sense of gratitude, um, how likelihood I go back out drinking. Mm. Um but because remember, I, I drink and drug for one reason to change how I feel, and I, I know money won't you know give me what I want. I know things won't give me what I want, and um, so it, it is a, a really another reason I'm really grateful that I'm in recovery uh, because I have these tools, and it's not a choice for me. Uh, I, let's say it's not a choice of convenience; it's a choice of really survival for Mm. me because it's so important for me uh, to stay sober and to be clean in life and that live a life of purpose and meaning. And so gratitude is is one of the anchors. Mm. Chuck, in that regard, what, what do you wish people would know about your past? to know you and to learn from the power of your story? Relationships are absolutely 
foundational to purpose and meaning. And I wish I would have taken the time with therapists um, and being transparent, being intimate with others to really delve more into the wounds of my past mm -hmm. and how I tried to medicate, how I tried to validate myself through stuff and all the casualty that came about those efforts, mm -hmm. the pain, the consequences. That's part of my journey. And there is, as you say, there's no shortcuts, but there's, there are ways that are not near as painful. Mm. And, um, and it's so much more meaningful. And um, I, I got a tattoo when I got out of prison. I designed it when I was in prison. I didn't get ink there. Um, <laughs> Thank God. But it's a cross on my ankle, so I'll look at it every day, and it has freedom. And it has Galatians 5.1, and most of us know the beginning of it, for, for he came to set us free. And in my interpretation, the second part is why I put it there. And it says, now, don't go back out and pick up the chains of slavery again. Hmm. And, and I have to remember for me today, even though I'm very free in many ways, that our God gave us free will. And he desires for me to live free. Um, but we have an enemy. And I have a wounded past. And that I need to be intentional about living free. And I would like people to know that it's worth it to invest in yourself in a healthy way and to definitely invest in others. Um, it's so much more important for me today um, than starting up a business, hitting the, hitting the triple or even the home run. It is honestly so much more important for me today. Yes. Um, I think it's important probably to say, because we'll go into it also, is um, that I'm not healed. What uh, do you mean? Of my addiction. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, I, I am grateful for that. Um, I won't be healed until, you know, I'm um, in the next life. That... Um, I still have to be very vigilant mm -hmm. about what I allow my eyes to see and what I, I think. I can't watch The Wolves of Wall Street. I can't watch Scarface. I, I, I see, you know, cocaine or something like that. My mind in, in will start going mm -hmm. in that process as a trigger. Um, and I, so I have to be very careful about what I allow my mind and my eyes to, to see. And, and so... Um, there's so much freedom in that, and that doesn't keep me in chains to say that I'm not healed. Mm. It keeps me very dependent mm. on my father. Mm. Um, and, and that's a safe place to be. When I got out of prison, and I, I had to go to halfway house, was working in the church. After all we've been through, I was debt-free now. We, God sustained in some pretty credible ways. I didn't have to s sell any of the private equity companies. And one company we were looking at, I was, I was an insurance company, at, at, the, at the crisis time in 2009, I was 
getting about 10 cents on the dollar. Fortunately, the banks worked with us very patient, which was amazing. It's a, it really is a miracle of God's estate. When I went back into prison the second time, we sold the insurance company at full value, and I was able to pay off all my debt. And um, graciously buy a, a beautiful home that we just both fell in love with. And, um, but it's very interesting. When I got out of prison, had money in the bank, I was free. And there was an absolute sense of, I started feeling this anxiety, this, this tension. Michelle could sense it. And there was this busyness. And fortunately, I slowed down real quick. Um, I have a sponsor kind of went through this and th there was an absolute sense of this. I have to prove myself again. And I got real busy at work and you've heard me say this again. And even though I can say things, I don't always live by them. Mm. And it is Chuck, if you don't make margin in your life, life's going to make margin for you again. And it's going to be real painful. And that's what prison did for me, is it created margin, and it was painful, but it was a realization of what is really important for me. So I slowed down. I, I realized it real quick. I asked Michelle to forgive me, and that's important because I have to take ownership in my actions. And uh, I said, no, no more. You know, I didn't work on that deal anymore. I slowed down. And was able to reset myself. Hmm. So a couple things for the listener that I always have to remember. First of all, in the big picture, it's never too late to learn how to surrender. Hmm. Never. Um, and it's worth it. The white flag is worth it. And the second thing is, for me, is that I'm not healed. That little wounded boy still comes out at times, and that's okay. I just have to recognize it, realize that um, I'm loved, I make amends, and I move forward. So, Chuck, as we think about your story and um, the highs and lows, regrets is a big category. I'd love to hear what are the regrets that you can name from um what, what are the regrets you have from what you've been through? Yeah, I do have many regrets, but what I, I want to focus on um, a few of them. I regret how I did not provide an emotionally safe environment for Michelle and the kids at my home mm -hmm. as a direct relation to my tone and intensity. I regret that I sought after validation from others in my success. I regret how my greed led me to cross the line of what was right in business. I regret not having more fun with my family and friends. I regret my addiction. It raped me of all self-respect, even though it did lead to my recovery and my father. Friends, I hope that you're able to really glean some of the nuggets from 
Chuck's life, you know, one of the words of a mentor early in this journey was don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. And I believe if we're curious and we're willing to really uh, become aware, choose to become aware of our interior life, of what we're truly thinking and feeling and seeing and why we're reaching to the things we reach for, for a sense of life or relief or changing how we feel, it will begin to tell us a story. And I think that we can really look into Chuck's life and learn much about God and about his kingdom. And so I would encourage you to pause and just pull out a piece of paper and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's for you and show you what's for now. And so Holy Spirit, show me what the treasure is. What is it in this podcast you were wanting to bring to my attention? And then friends, as you sit in that, to then shift to, and what is it that you are doing through it? What is it that you are empowering me to do through this? Spend some time there. It's worth it. We'll be back together soon for the third and final part of this podcast series with Chuck Bolton.